Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. How you guys doing? Dwayne, what? Oh man, we're we're taking the show on the show on the road. Yes, sir. Finally, finally getting get out of there, quarantine style, hitting the streets, going down to Virginia. Yeah, we're going. Dwayne and I will be going down to Wags this weekend. And we are going to be, bring a recorder, and we're going to record some stuff for for next week's show. Yeah, hopefully we get to you know interview some coaches that we may know, yeah. talk to them, get some insight on things. I think it'd be a pretty cool you know place to expand the brand. Yeah, absolutely. So we're we're looking forward to that, and just in general, big tournament weekend. Uh, all of our De- or the majority of our Delaware Union teams are going down to River or to Wags. So uh, the River Soccer Tournament that they have that looks to be a fantastic environment everything in one complex they got food trucks coming it's going to be a good time for everybody going there and Dwayne and i will be in virginia with our 2008 girls and our two high school girls teams so we're we're really excited for that and uh hopefully we'll we'll pick up we'll listen to some cool people along the way and don't forget about there's 2006 boys going up to pa oh that's right yeah the 2006 boys are up going to yms uh, this weekend, so we're gonna wish them the best of luck. So everybody, uh, best of luck to, to everybody this weekend, and hopefully um, get some with some cool pictures and some good results, and everybody has a good time. So we're looking for it. So with us today, we have Mark Spiegel. He is the founder and president of Make Your Own Ball Day, and uh, Mark and I actually have a pretty cool connection. A couple of years at the convention in Philadelphia, he actually coached uh, one of my teams that was a demo team. So and and I knew Mark. Before from Make Your Own Ball Day, uh, I think I was megged by one of uh, one of the Make Your Own Ball Day uh, staff members uh, at the convention at one point. Mark, how are you? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Uh, Sebastian, Dwayne, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about Make Your Own Ball Day. Yeah, it's fun to uh, reminisce uh, being at the, the conventions and, and introducing other coaches to what we do and one of the ways we would do it was uh, we, we made some soccer balls and we were trying to nutmeg anyone uh, that came by, including yourself. Um, let's see. Uh, I think, yeah, we, we nutmegged a lot of uh, random people, kids, and uh, Sunil Galati came by and uh, we went for him and he, he was not nutmegged. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And Make Your Own Ball Day is just simply a another way to use a ball to, to impact kids. Um, so it started, um, I'm a soccer coach in Indiana, and the kids I coach um, have a lot of uh, blessings and, and I would say have a lot of privilege in their life and just started as a way to get them to better appreciate the things that they have. Um, if they lose a soccer ball at practice, uh, it's okay. Mom and dad will just buy them a new one. And um, that with, uh, you know, thinking about all the travel I've done in my life and knowing that the rest of the world does not live like that, um, kind of the, I wanted those two worlds to collide. So we came up with uh, a day where we make a ball and we play barefoot. And, you know, we stub our toe, we step on a rock, um, we kick a ball that's maybe harder than a normal ball. 
And uh, it's a way to use this thing that we love to teach a bigger idea or a bigger lesson. That's awesome. Uh, I can tell you that it, it, I, I reson it resonated with me a lot when, um, when I first saw it at the convention and then I read more about it, mostly because I grew up in Argentina. And for me, and, and I was lucky enough to, to, to have soccer balls and things like that. But in school, for example, it was something that we had to get creative. You couldn't necessarily bring a soccer ball to school because it wasn't necessarily the safest environment to take a, to, to take a school, uh, a ball on the public bus to, to, you know, to go to school and things like that. So when we got to school, we, we had to get creative to try to play soccer at recess and things like that. So we, we made ours out of socks. So we, we made as our socks. So I, I started playing soccer with, with balls out of, out of socks. Uh, so it, that resonated with me a lot. And I think what you're doing in general beyond the United States, I think is, is fantastic. How many countries have you gotten to do outreach in at this point? Yeah, so our uh, our Make Your Own Ball Day crew has taken balls to, you know, close to 20 countries. Um, but we have identified three that um, that we take trips to and we build um, soccer fields. And so we're looking to build and help um, sustain safe places to play. So we went to Nicaragua and we took with us, you know, 700 soccer balls, 700 pairs of cleats, so many jerseys. And it was amazing to see um, the organizations that are doing the actual work on the ground and support them um, by giving them gear. And then we noticed that, uh, you know, one place we're playing in Nicaragua, you know, the out of the, the left-hand side, uh, the out of bounds is barbed wire fence and, and the right hand side is, uh, the cows that are constantly moving. So out of bounds is, is barbed wire and, and cows. And, and we noticed that, uh, there just was there weren't a lot of safe places and right. designated places for kids to play. Um, so we started building futsal courts, um, in Nicaragua and had a blast and had a trip that we could invite, um, young and old to come and um, love on some people, to share the game. And, and those trips have, uh, have become highlights. And then also, obviously, when you go and learn and experience a new perspective and a new culture, you end up coming back um, you know, more changed and uh, more aware. And your life has changed because of that. So, right. so, so we've done Nicaragua, we've done uh, Malawi in Africa, and uh, Zimbabwe. Those are our three kind of focus. And then we were, um, well, COVID hit, but we were going to go to Nepal okay. and uh, take a three-day hike into the mountains and helicopter in all of our supplies. So that one's been put on hold, but we're having a lot of fun and we're connecting with groups that are doing the same thing we're trying to do in the States using a ball to positively impact kids. So it's been great. No. And I think, and it, I think you hit the nail on the head there, right. Using a ball to positively impact, impact kids. And I think, you know, these last four or five months that now we're, we're slowly, but surely getting back on the field. But for a long time, we were sitting at home and, you know, Dwayne and I were trying to figure out what do we do with our kids? Um, so we, we found your social media, uh, to be inspiring. And we, we were able to do a uh, make your own ball uh, activity for one of our weekly at home activities. So what we did is we had all the players 
record a video and uh of actually their process of creating their own oh. ball and then they had to create their own drill or activity within their own ball so now they made it because the idea was that all right we got to find a way for some of these kids because we evaluated the situation that a lot of our players are in and that they might not all have a front yard or or a, a safe environment to be able to play outside of their house so we're like all right well they can't kick a size five ball inside of a house that just seems like some apparent i'm gonna get a phone call somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah so we're like all right well so if they find a way to make things out of their uh out of the things that they might have in their house it might be able to be safe for them to be able to play inside the house and and get some get some touches and so they were to do that and they had a they had a really good time and i think what you said earlier it showed a different appreciation for what you have um it there's a meaning this this game and we talk about this on the podcast all the time this game is more than just the four lines on the field and scoring goals sometimes like a lot of the times this game connects people and it and it makes you think about more than just yourself and i think that's what you're doing is fantastic and we love that about it yeah that's not, that sounds incredible i like that um yeah it it like you said it gives uh kids a new way to express their love and uh it gives coaches a new um way to teach something so as coaches we we talk about you know we want to teach the game and we want to teach life and the longer i coach that life part becomes way more important than than the coaching uh the game part i want to connect with kids i want to mentor i want to have that impact and um within our coaching staff we talk a lot about um you know getting on their level and using their language um and for us it's pretty cool because these kids love this ball so we can use the ball um as a way to to teach them a lesson and for us it's teaching them that um you know maybe how you grew up you didn't have the means to just go to the sporting goods store and, yeah. and buy three soccer balls. You, you know, uh, we have friends in, in Malawi who, if they have a one good pair of shoes, that's for school. Um, right. but recess barefoot, um, that they don't have, uh, three meals a day. They might not have, you know, our friends in Nicaragua at, at the orphanage we volunteer at don't have parents. Right. And so it's, it's using what they know to teach them these lessons that we say we want to teach. Right. But unless we actually use the words and unless we actually have activities that teach them, well, I lead by example. I'm a nice guy. Okay. That's, that's great, but it only goes so far. Right. Let's, let's give them language and let's give them actual life examples um, and get them thinking and start conversations at a really young age. Cause I think the world, the world needs it. So, well, and I think not only does the world need it, but I think the the players are exposed to so much now that they probably pick up a lot of the more adult topics to a certain extent or topics that, you know, maybe you don't pick up until later um, a lot earlier because they're exposed to it. You know, they, a lot of the players that we deal with have phones, and they, they see a lot of what's going on. So, and ultimately they hear things at home and then they come back and repeat them in the field. So then it starts there. The, the sense that um, my wife works at the university of Delaware and she talks, she talks so much about the, like in recognizing 
where there's privilege and understanding how you can help with that part of it. And I think that's something that I didn't recognize that for a long time. Um, I didn't recognize the privilege that I've had uh, or that I maybe didn't have uh, or things like that. And, and it's only been recently that I've, that I've really thought about the fact that I am from Argentina and that that means something beyond just the fact that I'm from Argentina. Uh, and that like, there's, there's things that I've experienced that maybe were somewhat uncomfortable at times, but they didn't really phase me, but they do phase other people. And I have to find a way to connect, connect those two things together. So um, how has it impacted your outlook from a soccer perspective in general, just as a coach, how is it, how has make your own ball day impacted how you view the actual X's and O's to a certain extent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, just uh, your last, I love your last uh, comment about about privilege. And, and we talk to the kids, especially on this night where we make a ball and we play barefoot. We're not asking, nor are our friends asking for, um, for you to feel bad about right. them, right? Uh, our friends at the orphanage, our, uh, our friends that, you know, walk two miles to school barefoot um, and play with a homemade soccer ball in, in Malawi. They're not asking for you to feel bad about them, right? We don't, they don't need your pity, right? But we flip that and we say, you guys should feel empowered. You guys have resources. You have some privilege that if you use that, oh my goodness, you can actually change the world. You can, you can do something for someone else. And they're not asking for handouts. They're asking for a hand up and they're asking for a chance. They're asking for someone to, you know, there's this group in Malawi. It's a, it's a school for kids who are deaf and hearing impaired. Right. And I'm trying to figure out how do we connect them with, cause their schooling's going really well. And then it stops at high school. Mm-hmm. Okay, how do we figure out how to connect them with that next level of schooling? Right. That would be the chance, right? I'm not going to do the work for them. They don't need me to do the work. Right. For them. The hardworking kids, right? But if I can use my connections, right? I went to Butler University and did College of Education. I'm asking around. I'm trying to figure out, okay, how do we get opportunities to go to college for these kids? Yeah. And then they got to do the work, right? Yeah, and for so sure. I'm empowered because I have these connections. I, I'm not, oh, man, I wish these kids had this and that, which I do wish. Right. But you're actually doing something about it. And, and and they're living their days working hard and having fun and smiling. Right. They're, they're making the most of what they have. They don't need me. Oh, it's hard to get out of bed because these kids don't have everything. They just need When I think that's the, when I think that's the key, um, my wife and I, my wife is from the United States and we went to Argentina a couple of years ago and she she was shocked to a certain extent at at some of the things that she saw in general from a from a um, social perspective and uh and I told her I was like part of it is is the the culture though like there's there are things that that like you can feel bad but like you said right there's nobody that needs you to take pity on them just if you can if you can help in any way that's that's great but ultimately, when you're given the chance, you have to be able to prove yourself and, and do that. And I think that's what we have to do from a, from our place. Um, 
we live in a society where we have the ability we like you said we coach kids and we we live in a pay-to-play model to a certain extent right i mean we we live in that environment where the majority of our kids are paying or the parents are paying to, for them to play soccer so for us to then it's that it's that constant reminder anytime you don't want to practice anytime that you you don't want to be at a game because it's raining or because of this or because of whatever other reason it's that's the moment where you can go yeah that's fantastic that yeah you don't like to play in the rain you know what like i don't know many people that like to play in the rain but at the same time think about your environment how you're playing in the rain in comparison to how some other people might be playing in the rain some other people might be playing in the rain in the mud with no shoes on with no clothes on their back and it's 550 degrees outside right like that that might be their environment so instead of like you said you don't have to feel bad for them but just understand that there's a there's a sense of pride that you have to have for everything you have hey you're Sometimes playing take- rain. you're playing in the rain on a turf field right your parents <laughs> you yeah to the turf field yeah these kids may have had to walk a mile and it rains for six months just to play right yeah that's what we're dealing with and it, and it and it's and it's awesome and it, and and we don't want to like hold that over them every time, right? No. We don't want to be like, oh man, like you complained again today and you have this perfect Nike ball. Like right. we don't want to do that, but but reminding them and trying to find new ways to teach that lesson yeah. is powerful. A life lived out of thankfulness, you're doing something right. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna find some joy where other people's would, you know, where other people would find sorrow or be the victim going to be able to go you know what no i i own this i can i'm i'm going to do what i can do and uh and those are lessons that we can teach through this sport yeah uh, and, and and you ask you know how is my coaching change and it's it is that it's equipping kids um with either new language new conversations and really it's being intentional about what we want to teach um we are really great at saying, okay, we want to uh, be attacking minded. And so we're going to, you know, have overlapping, you know, modern outside backs that are super fit and flying forward. And we're going to hit the six and the eight and switch sides and look for through balls and build out of the back. We're all, we're great at finding these activities in, in this, uh, this way to communicate and teach those, those lessons. Um, but we also need to be intentional about teaching leadership and empathy. Uh, and we can't just tell people, you know, don't bully. Right. It, it, we've gone a step further, you know, with my teams. And it's hard for a, a eight-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old to say, okay, yes, you didn't do anything wrong. Why well, didn't do anything wrong, coach? Okay, but you didn't, you didn't do anything right. You, right. you weren't. You, We've talked a lot about uh, being, you know, the, you know, the academy hero or the captain or the leader or just a great teammate. Well, we got to go a little step further to, well, I, I didn't exclude him, but you didn't include him. Right. When we got into pairs, you went with your best buddy and that one kid on the team is still left going, man, I don't have a team. I don't have a, a partner again. Like it. So there are lessons to be learned through sport and some of them i i've known a lot of people i played in college 
Some people didn't learn these lessons. They played sport for a very long time at a very high level. And the things that I want the kids that I coach to learn, some of my teammates didn't learn them over the years, right? And so we got to be able to use our words and be intentional. And our words have to reflect their language. We have to get on their level. If I'm coaching a seven-year-old, I need to use words that will actually, we had a coach one time talking about deception and being <laughs> deceptive. And we give her a hard time about it. And after, after her halftime talk, we go to the kids and we're like, hey, what does deception mean? And they're like, I have no idea. And then she sent them out on the field and we all laughed and we're like, hey, coach, like, your kids need to know what you're saying and your language was above them. We need to right. get on their level and use their language. So I realized that a couple of weeks ago, uh, the 2010 girls team I coach, we were talking about being consistent. I said, we have to find consistency in what we do. And they're like, yep, they shake their hands. And, and one of the girls looked somewhat confused. So then I stopped. I was like, hold on a second. Let's go. Let's back up for a second. Do you know what the word consistency is? And they're like, nope, no idea. And it, it, I, it, it stuck with me for like two weeks. The fact that a word that I took somewhat for granted, they don't under, they don't know the word. So I have to like, all right, let's explain it. And let's, so now we, we've almost become to the, we've gone to the point where we're almost doing like a word of the week. Uh, so now it's, it's made me have to be a, become a better coach to adapt and I've coached the same age before. And, and I don't know if I didn't use the word or I just didn't think about it, but now I've thought about it because somebody gave me a look of like, I have no idea what you're saying right now, yeah. but you're, but you're right. Like it's, it's finding a way to, to connect with players and realize that. Um, and we've had this conversation with, with some of the guests before in the podcast about the, the soccer playing career, right? Let's just say we found players that, um, let's just say the percentages were not as low as they are for for develop or for pathways to go beyond high school soccer, right? So let's just say you find players that that play college soccer, play professionally, and have a successful uh, professional career, right? You're still done by what thirty five, yeah, thirty six if you're lucky, thirty seven. Then you got what are you, what are you doing for the rest of your life? Like yeah. you have to find something. Uh, we, with our, while we were, we had all this time off, we talked about core values for within our own teams. So one of the teams I coach came up with their own core values and they came up with an acronym grapes. So they talked about grapes. Like that was their growth mindset, effort, respect, uh, the, and they wanted to make sure that they understood it, that it wasn't just on the field. Yeah. And was grapes was on and off the field because if they weren't going to live that every second of every day of their lives, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what we did on the field if we weren't going to do it off the field as well. So I think that's, that's important. And uh, so. Yeah, that's great. That's a great point. And, you know, we try to remind the coaches that like a kid's value is not um, directly correlated with if they're the best player on the team or the worst player on the team, if they're still developing or they're scoring all the goals. Right. And sometimes we treat kids based on their performance. Oh yeah. And then we, and then we see kids treat kids based on performance. Right. I don't want to be in his group. I'm not friends with him because for whatever reason, he made the third team and I'm on the top team. 
And, uh, and there it is again, a lesson to be learned through sport of, uh, of value and, and, um, and how we, how we define or, you know, pick our friends based on, oh, he's on this great team, or he is kind and nice and loyal and trustworthy. Um, it's funny, I'll, I'll, you know, one way to teach that is uh, I'll kind of throw my wife under the bus. I'll be like, hey, guys, I got to I got to tell you something like what? My wife is terrible at soccer. They're like, what? Why would you? I'm like, she doesn't even, which she kind of does like soccer. She's I'm winning her over, but uh, she played volleyball uh, and basketball growing up. But I'll be like, she doesn't even really like soccer. And they're like, why, why, why'd you marry her? Why? Like, I, she sounds like the worst human. You're right. <laughs> and I'll talk about best friends who are terrible at soccer, who hate soccer. And trying to get this point across that, like, hey, this kid's actually really funny. He's probably the funniest and kindest kid on the team. He's just not very good at soccer. And you yeah. should still be friends with him. He's yeah. hilarious. Right. And he's got your back. And he is so loyal. And he is funny. And who ca- who cares that he can't nutmeg, you know, or double scissors or hit your perfect cross? Like, when we're not on the field, we need to be able to discern that. So that's some fun lessons for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and one of one of the things I I I enjoy doing, especially as as players hit a certain age, is we talk about we talk about the things we're not good at, and sometimes that's hard to recognize. It's hard for somebody to admit to that. Um, we openly talk about the fact that somebody's faster than somebody else. Uh, we we use that as a as a great example, just because in general, uh, and I bring up our one of this high school girls team that I coach, and I had two center backs who were the only two center backs I had on the team, really, who one of them was fast and not very technical, and the other one was slow but very technical. And I told them that they were always the perfect pair because they complemented each other's flaws. Or not flaws, but they complemented each other's not as not, – I don't know, however you want to call it, right? <laughs> not necessarily flaws, but just they just complemented each other well, right? So if I'm not going to be fast but I can be technical and my partner right next to me can be fast and not very technical, then then I can – and we talk about that because if we don't understand what what we are okay, we're if we don't if we're not okay admitting to the fact that we might not be good at something, it becomes difficult for us to realize what we're actually good at. Yeah. What can I provide? Right. So I told the team yesterday, I, I had a practice last night and I told my team, I said, listen, I need all of you to help me. I don't become a better coach if all of you don't try your hardest to want to be here. Like I can't be a better coach for all of you if you don't want to play the game. If you don't want to be here, it becomes difficult for me to become a better coach. Now, that's the hard part, right? Because and no no parent ever wants to hear flaws from about their kid, right? Because yeah. when when little Sally goes home and goes, Oh, coach told me today I was slow. No, coach said you're just not as fast as the person next to you, and that's okay. What else? Do, what else can you do? Right? It, you you brought up the this kid's really funny. We had a player on this team that said uh, that was probably not the best player on the team, uh, and and she knew it. She didn't hide the fact that she wasn't the best player. Nobody nobody hid the fact that she wasn't the best player on the team. But she's the player you wanted on the team. She's the player that when times were tough, she was gonna she was gonna say something to you randomly that was just gonna lift your spirits. She would come up to me and the fact that I'm a vegetarian, 
and was like, would come up to me every day and go, it's a shame. I'm like, what? That you don't eat meat. I'm like, what are you talking about? 10 years old telling me that it's a shame that I don't eat meat. That's awesome. But that's the player you want in your environment, right? You, you want the player that is able to provide something different. When, time, when times are tough, right? When you're down one nothing at halftime or you're down 4 nothing at halftime and everyone's got their head down and they got their hands on their knees and just like, they're like, what do we do now? You need the person that goes, you know what? It's fine. Like we're playing soccer. Like this is great. Like you're losing a game. Like at the end of the day, you're yeah. losing a game. Yeah, but I and I and I think that, that raises a, a really interesting point. I think kids today are battling this uh, perfectionism that um, that I definitely battled, and I but I I see it in a lot a lot of players. And so being able to own mistakes and being able to own things that you're not good at yet. Right. Yeah. With the growth, growth mindset, growth mindset, using the word yet. And kids are still terrified. They're terrified to get a B on something. Right. John, uh, Coach Wooden said when he hated being a teacher because, you know, he would give a few kids A's and a lot of kids were average. So he'd give them C's and their parents would be like, what do you mean? My kid's not average. And he's like, well, at this subject, your kid is average and that is OK. Um, so in doing that, we have to, um, lead by example as coaches, which how do we do that? And, you know, you've heard of a leader with a limp, um, and, and just being able to, you know, the powerful words of, I messed that up. I I screwed that up as a coach. Like when a activity goes wrong, I screwed that up or, you change a formation and, you know, something happens in a game and, and being able to own that, like, Oh yeah, coach isn't perfect. And that, that knocks you off this pedestal and it doesn't make kids not want to follow you anymore. Right. Uh, I think kids and, and people in general, rather than following, you know, someone that has it all together and can teach the game in a perfect way, more so follow availability. Oh, this, this coach knows me. This coach has been there for me. This coach followed up when I was in the hospital. This coach uh, came to my birthday party when I invited him. This coach says hi to me every time I come on the field and, and talks about, you know, my homework or my sleepover at my grandparents or fishing, whatever it is. And, uh, and it's, I got this great story. So I do a lot of, uh, of volunteering and mentoring and, um, through this organization called Young Life, and um, and oh man, I for, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, used to play center for the uh, for the Pacers. What is his name? Roy Hibbert. Roy Hibbert. Roy Hibbert. Thank you. So Roy Hibbert tweets out that uh, they're playing in Chicago, and he's super bummed because he can't get the latest Xbox. Right. And it's coming out and they're going to do the release at midnight. And so, um, so I get on Twitter and I make a account Roy's toy for joy. And I, I tweet it at Roy Hibbert. Hey, me and my young life guys, we'll stay out all night and get that Xbox for you. And he tweets back like sweet, you know, I'll hit you back and I'll come hang and play Xbox with you. So we stay out all night. We have a lot of fun and we get this Xbox and it was freezing cold and we got all these fun stories. 
And then Roy Hibbert is amazing and is like, sure, I'll come over. So he comes over to one of the high school kids' houses and um, and we're playing video games and so much fun. He's incredible with the kids. And we ordered a bunch of pizzas. So we're standing in the kitchen and uh, Roy Hibbert, who's, you know, really tall, nine foot something, right? It, um, so tall. And the kids are, you know, the high school kids are like wearing his shoes around without him knowing. <laughs> and uh, we're standing there and he is obviously the center of attention. Right. And so I also volunteer a lot with kids with special needs. And there's a kid named Dan, who is amazing. Dan shows up and Dan has Down syndrome and he comes in and he is always hyped and he goes for a high five. So he's running across this kitchen going for a high five and Roy Hibbert assumes this high five is for him. He's the <laughs> NBA star. It was right after he just dominated LeBron James in the, in, you know, this playoff series. And he's like a big time guy right now. So he's going and Dan leaves Roy Hibbert, NBA player, hanging and goes straight past him to a high schooler named Griffin. <laughs> and the reason he did that was he knows Griffin. Griffin picks him up from school. Griffin hangs out with him. Griffin sits with him at lunch. Griffin is his superstar, right? And it's like the kids follow availability. They, 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 they want a leader that is available to them that, you know, that, that know, they want to know that you care before, you know, they're willing to follow you. But that, I mean, that's coaching right there. It's like, yeah. you teach all of this stuff, but like, we need to let them know we're there. And then we need to let them know that we're not perfect. Right. And that it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Bastion messes up every day. Absolutely. Oh, that is a hundred percent true. And we need to remind them of that, which is weird. It doesn't take credibility from us. It actually gives us some street cred to be like, oh, that's okay that I just messed up. Yeah, because it gives it, it opens up the, it, op- it almost takes that barrier down to talk about when players are uncomfortable, right? We talk about that, like I had a, I had a parent meeting or a player meeting with a parent and the player comes up to me and she goes, I, I don't know what, like I'm having a struggle. I'm struggling at playing in, in a position, and uh, so I talked to her about some of the things that I thought that I thought. But I was like, I was like, listen, you're telling me all the things that I'm telling you. So clearly, you recognize what what's going on. So then she goes, well, I'm afraid of saying something to the other players because this this particular player plays as a six, and she sometimes she gets left because the eight and the ten go wandering off somewhere else and she's left completely alone as a six and and i tell her that she has to stay central and if she goes too wide then we have nobody in the middle so then she goes well what do i do if if i tell her you know i tell the 10 that she has to stay and she doesn't and i was like then you find the next moment and you say it again and i was like but i'm gonna have your back like if you say it loud enough where i can hear you and i can usually hear everything going on in the game i'm gonna i'm gonna follow up with you and I'm going to make sure that we all, we're all on the same page. Like, I trust that you're going to do it. Now, if you don't do it in a positive way that helps us, then <laughs> I'm going to be the first one to tell you, listen, I like where you're going with it. Just let's rephrase it to, to turn into a positive. But 
And you saw her face almost light up to the fact that, like, I told her, I was like, listen, I got your back. Like, it, ultimately, we're all teammates, right? It's a, it's a team. It's a family. If we don't, if we, if we're not comfortable having the uncomfortable conversations in a game, then that becomes very difficult. Like we have to, and and for them, it's important. They're, they're, you know, sixth and seventh graders for them to be able to talk to each other and give each other feedback or constructive, constructive criticism in the middle of a game. It's, it's not easy for them, Yeah. but if they can do it, it, it helps them get to that next level. And I love what you did there. Like, understanding that uh, we have a longer perspective and view than what they have, right? This game means everything. Yeah. It actually doesn't. It's a game. It's one league game that doesn't really matter. Right. And you being able to, in that moment, teach within that game and slow her down and say, okay, I need you to use your voice. Right. right? Uh, It's similar to, I take kids out of games, right? I coach 4v4 and 7v7, 12v12. Someone's messing up and we've gone over and over it. I might just pull them aside and say, hey, who's playing left mid right now? Uh, Look out there. Who's playing the 11? Well, I'm supposed to be the left mid. Yeah, but you've been playing on the right side all day. (laughs) And this is a 30-second conversation in the middle of a game, right? right? It might just be that like, light bulb that happens that now when they're asked to play left mid they're going to play left mid yeah right i had a girl named ella who was just terrified to make a mistake in a game just electric player was just terrified said hey the first time you touch the ball i want you to kick the ball out of bounds she's like i can't do that (laughs) the players will be mad at me i'm like this is a this is a u10 league game that means nothing just kick the ball out of bounds she kicks the ball out of bounds and looks at me and everyone stops like what is she doing and she just smiles right it is okay yeah it is okay but we cannot just say you're dealing with perfectionism and it's it is absolutely killing you and i'm gonna regurgitate this stuff about growth mindset that you should actually not worry about it because Right. A failure is a lesson and this and that. It's like, no, we have to actually find ways to let kids in on this secret that this is just a game and we're learning other things. We're using this game to learn. Kick the ball out of bounds. It's okay. I took this team one over. Game and Ella was electric. Right. I took this team over this year and um, in my first practice, I said, all right, so – uh, is it okay for us to make mistakes during practice and games? And the, the majority of the parents were like, no. I was like, okay. So you, you, you're going to tell me that you want to hit a perfect pass and a perfect shot every single t- game and we're not going to miss anything. Yeah. Okay. So if, if we're going to do that, does that make, is, is there, is, is, is it hard at any point? If, if you, you know, if you have the ability to shoot, and score every time you shoot and everything else up. They're like, no, that's easy. Okay, so how do we learn? I was like, if you have a math problem that you don't understand, do you learn how to do it? Or is it just as easy as two plus two equals four every single time? And they're like, no, we, you know, it's sometimes you, it takes you a little bit to figure it out. So you make a mistake, right? Yeah. All right. So good. Perfect. We understand that now. I was like, I want you to make a ton of mistakes every practice. I was like, 
if you don't, if you don't leave a practice making a ton of mistakes, it means we didn't do something right today. So now we talk about it. Like, we're like, is it okay to make mistakes? Absolutely. Yeah, it is. What we care about is how we deal with the mistake, right? Is, are you going to be completely bothered by a mistake or are you just moving on to the next one? Right. So I make a mistake. Great. Perfect. Fine. Fine. I made the mistake, right? Like you said, Ella kicks the ball out of bounds and then looks at you and smiles because you know what? She's moved on to the next thing at this point. There's no reason to talk about it or, or like to really focus on that anymore. Just move on to the next one and off we go. Make a ton of mistakes every practice, right? Those are those are the things that sometimes we, and you said it, we live in a, in a society where perfection is the thing we look for. So when you want to say we want to make mistakes, we're not going to, right? I have a conversation with parents when I coach a 9v9 team the first year and I tell them we are going to lose games. And they're like looking at me like, and I was like, not only are we going to lose games, there is going to be times where I'm going to tell you it's okay that we lost the game because we're not looking to be the best 9v9 team in the world. There is no mythical cup at the end of the road and 9v9 that says you are the 9v9 world champion. And there is no 9v9 team that will ever be better than you. That doesn't exist, nor should it really. But, and I was like, so we are not going, we are going to lose games. We're going to lose games sometimes because we're trying to do the right thing. And someone just finds a way to shoot from midfield at 99 because they have a player that's just a lot bigger and a lot faster and a lot stronger than all of our players combined. Yeah. And the players, then the parents are like, oh my God, like it just, it automatically tells them it's okay. Like we're going to make mistakes and that's perfectly fine. We're going to lose a game. And that's okay. And there's going to be times where we're going to look at the game and go, what is this guy doing? Like, is he trying to lose on purpose? No, but you know, and I told him I've never stepped into a game where I go, Oh man, today's a great day to lose. Like I've never stepped into that game because I'm a competitive person. Right. And you want to, it's a, it's a game and you're, you're trying to win obviously, but it's never beyond the process of it. Right. It's never, when the, that win at all cost mentality, like I'm willing to just sit every single player that's technically not good enough to play on this game in this team because I'm up one nothing. And I, if I don't win this league game, then I, I fall into second place in the league table and it's U10 soccer and it's it's November and the end of the season. And I got to watch out. Those got soccer points, man, those are so important. And I just tell them, I'm like, they're, it's irrelevant. It, it doesn't matter. Like when you, um, we interviewed a division three coach from her sinus college last week. And she said something that was really interesting. She said at the end of the year, or at, when you graduate college, um, the, the degree that you get doesn't state what division soccer you played. It just, it just states what institution you graduated from. And I thought that was a pretty cool thing. Considering she's a division three college coach. And she struggles with the fact that at times that she's overlooked because she's a division three college she runs a division three college program at the end of the day that's what it comes down to right the you want to what's the ultimate goal right for for her it's retention and graduation it has nothing to do with the fact that like again oh i'm I was i was a division one or division two or division three or i graduated from an institution the same idea here right i i learned something today i made a mistake and i learned something it doesn't matter whether, you know, at 18, we're going to still hang on to the fact that like, why well, U 10, I was the best 7v7. I was on the best 7v7 team in the country. Number one in the country at U 10. 
all right, what are you doing now? Uh, nothing. I don't play soccer anymore. Okay. Well, somebody's failed you along the way. Yeah. So yeah, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, things that I love about what you just said. And it reminds me of uh, coach John O'Sullivan, one of my soccer mentors has a new book out and he's, you know, and part of it, he talks about learning within training and, um, and exactly what you're talking about. Mistakes are a good thing. Um, and we need to increase the decision-making within training. Oh, I got lots of touches. Ah, that's okay. I made lots of decisions. I want right. to make the kids have lots of soccer decisions in training. And what he talks about and the research is out there of, uh, in terms of learning, we want it to be slow and, del- and, and difficult. And that's the, that's where sticky learning happens. That's, uh, you know, read a book, make it stick. And it's, and it's those moments where it's hard. And, uh, the challenge is maybe just beyond your grasp yet. You're excited about it. That, um, some of us, um, are too easy on our, on our players in terms of the level at which we're teaching them or the challenge we're giving them, or even the complex decisions, we can simplify the game, but we still want to create um, training sessions that um, are difficult, not only on the soccer feet, but on the soccer mind. Um, and so for us, we talk about attitude, effort, and response. Those are the three things that uh, starting at U7, we talk to our players about, you know, your attitude, obvious effort. And the responses is one that we've really been focused on is like, what happens when you make a mistake? How do you respond? What happens when the referee makes a bad call? How do you respond? We need to respond in a way that we control the things that we can control. Right. Having a bad game, work harder. That's my, I, I can control that. Yeah. Have a bad touch. I can, I can try to control the next one. I'm not going to go foul someone out of frustration. That is a right. bad response. But the, the process of, slowly learning things in a in a session that is deliberately difficult that we're not answering all the questions for them uh, is important for us as educators of this game and as teachers to to provide for kids we don't want to take away learning by giving them the answers in a game or in training Um, and we want to do a better job of taking what we want to teach them, right? The principles of play or building out of the back or whatever it is and put together activities that make them think, that make them do soccer decisions within the flow of the game. And then when they make a mistake, we can teach. And when they succeed, we can praise and be like, oh, brilliant. That was awesome. Well done. Um, but we need to be more creative about that. So I lo- I absolutely love the idea of, yeah, we're going to make lots of mistakes. We're going to lose and that's okay. Right. And, and some of it is going to be deliberate by me. I'm going to put us under pressure and under this I- intense environment so that the, the, the learning is slow and deliberate and sticky and stays with us for an absolute long time yeah absolutely so what uh I, i'd like to i we try to find some challenges for the delaware union players 
so I'd like for for you, Mark, to to give our Delaware Union players a challenge, and we'll we'll send this out as the uh, make your own ball day challenge. So what what challenge can we give the Delaware Union players to do? And we'll try to get some pictures or videos, and we'll we'll put some on social media. So what what's the challenge that we can give our players to do? Oh man, oh man. Um, what comes to mind would be would be three things. Okay. Um, we had a juggle competition in training the other day. It was uh, it was a mixed bag. There was U sevens, U eights, U twelves, and the U twelves. A few twelves mm-hmm. won. And I brought the youngest kids in. I said, why didn't you win? You're a great player. They're like, well, they're older than we are. I'm like, I, I've seen kids all around the world who are so young that can do anything with the ball. I'm like, you haven't spent enough time with the ball yet. Right. If I saw them want to be the best and they just deferred to, you know, oh, they're older than me. Right. We have teenagers playing in the best leagues around the world. And sometimes we forget that, like, if you're 10 in six years, some players are then playing and being bought for millions and millions and millions. I'm like, you are capable of more than you think you're capable of. So my first challenge would be like, who's going to be the first to get 100 in your lowest in what we call our academy. So our eight, nines, and tens, who's going to get a hundred juggles. Okay. Who's going to be the first to get a hundred juggles. All right. We'll put that out to our juniors program. Yeah. How sweet would that be? So a hundred juggles would be one. Then I love this idea of how big is your guys' club? Uh, We have about 250 travel players and then like 800 recreational players. So a a thousand, uh, over a thousand players all together. What would happen if we all did one thing, two things for someone else? That'd be yeah, that'd be amazing. And when we share those things, it could be, um, you know, I cleaned up my room for my mom without her asking. It could be I said something really nice to my teacher, who teachers are just so <laughs> undervalued, under you know how cool yeah. would that be? Or I wrote a card for someone, or. I sat with someone at lunch that normally I don't sit with, or um, I, whatever it is, I was, I was extra awesome to someone in training. Um, Something, I I mean, something little that your whole club, and then you, and then they report back, hey, I did this, this, and this. And you send out a thing of like, our club in this last week, we brought this much joy in a world that really needs it right now. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh, goodness. We were just this awesome. This club was this ray of sunshine for this week. How cool was that? Yeah. Um, and the, and the last one, I've been really into uh, soccer freestyle. Okay. So from zoom, uh, we, I, I started this like soccer junkies, like zoom training, right? We had our normal team zooms and then over COVID, I saw some kids that were just constantly playing and I kind of said, Hey, I'm going to do this other zoom. So, um, so I would say like, if you can do like, uh, an around the world or a, uh, a knee catch around the world where it's like, you let it bounce a catch between your knees, you jump in the air, you swing 
one foot in front mm-hmm. and to get your foot back underneath. Um, just ways that like other ways to play with creativity. Yeah. yeah. I like yeah. It. that would be, I would love to like, if I saw videos of that, I'd be like, Ooh, I got to go get my ball. Yeah. I like, all yeah. right, we're going to, that. we're going to, we're going to try to, we're going to get all three of those challenges out to our, our entire club. And we're going to try to, we're going to try to do that and, and send it back to you guys. Cool. Yeah. We'd love that. We'll, uh, we'll share some love and some posts for sure. Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to, we want to get to know you a little bit more in general. Uh, so, uh, how did you get started in coaching soccer in general? Yeah. Um, I, I have three brothers, all football players, my dad's football coach. And so I found soccer and was like, Oh, there's this other thing that I, I like. I can, my older brother is best athlete I've ever known. My dad was well known within our Lee Summit, Missouri, Kansas City. And I kind of found my own path and I was like, this is it. And then I had an amazing coach growing up, Coach Tim. So I watched my dad be this amazing mentor and inspirational, motivational coach. He'd have his players, you know, who had tough home lives live with us for, a week, two weeks, three years. And I had this amazing high school and club coach for from eight to senior in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just watched them and it was like, and, and by the time I was in high school, I was helping run soccer camps in the summer and coaching and loving, you know, interacting with kids. And, and they both kind of kept saying like, you're a coach. And I was <laughs> like, nah, I'm not a coach. You know, you're a coach. And then I went to Butler and played and in the summers I would, I would coach camp and it wasn't until, uh, so I suffered a traumatic brain injury at Butler. Um, I got hit in the head during a training session. My brain went forward and hit my skull and I've had a headache every se- every second of the day since 2004. And, uh, I couldn't wow. play soccer anymore. I had to drop out of school. I fell into this absolute deep, dark depression. Uh, where life just didn't make sense. I was playing division one soccer and doing all these things that I really wanted to do all my dreams. And then it was nothing. Right. And I was in a lot of pain and not sleeping and sad and depressed. And I had a, uh, a therapist challenge me. He said, if you want life, give it away. So I don't know what that means. He said, if you want to help yourself, help someone else. Right. Okay. What, what could I do? So I volunteered as a coach and to have a, a, a young player call me coach, coach Mark, will you teach me that double scissors? Coach Mark, will you teach me this? Coach Mark, look at this. Coach Mark, watch me try this shot. Man, it changed my life. Yeah. And little by little, it didn't bring me out of depression day one. I wasn't like, oh, uh, yes, sweet. Little by little. I found a reason to get out of bed and I was excited. I was excited to read books and listen to podcasts and learn more about coaching. And uh, man, it, it, it really saved my life in a lot of ways. Cause I thought about death a lot when I was in depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and now I'm just, I just love it. I think it's such a amazing way to teach and mentor about life. And uh in this game that I love. So that's, that's kind of my road to it. Um, 
I didn't, I wouldn't have guessed that I would be a full-time coach. Um, but I'm so excited. This is my, my dream job for sure. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's great to hear. And that's, I think one of the reasons why we asked the question is, uh, cause everybody, everybody somewhat at times starts the same way, but not for the same reasons. And I yeah. think that's, uh, that's always the, the look, the, that's what we look forward to. So this next question is inspired by Dwayne. Uh, Dwayne worked at Hollister for 48 hours. <laughs> uh, good old two, two days at Hollister. Uh, Dwayne loves free t-shirts, but didn't get a free t-shirt even though he worked at Hollister. Uh, so what other jobs outside of coaching soccer that may have been a little uh, different maybe uh, have, maybe have you had? Great question. Um, let's see. I was a coat check. Okay. I would take, uh, you know, wealthy people's coats and it was like mad rush for like 10 minutes. And then they'd go and be at their opera or fancy dinner. And I would sit there with nothing to do. And then 10 minutes, you know, of them leaving, I'd, you put the coat on and then, you know, depending on what sort of vibe you're getting, you might do a pat, a double pat, you know, two pats (laughs) and man, they, they just don't tip code checks. Like I was, told it was rough. It was rough. Um, here's probably the worst one ever was, uh, my, he's a doctor now. Okay. Scott, uh, Dr. Scotty. Um, he's like, Hey, I got this great, um, you know, kind of in the, in between for college, you got that like weird December, January, you have so much time. Yeah we removed staples out of medical documents so that they could scan them in to go digital. And we were <laughs> terrible at it. Wait, Doc- you were, you were terrible at, at, sta- <laughs> at removing staples. You had to, you had to keep a certain rate and you couldn't miss a staple or it would scratch the heck out of their machines. Oh my God. I tell you what they, they would staple. I mean, you should be stapling in the top left corner, right? We all right. know where to staple a paper. Middle of the page, bottom right, on the on the second sheet, uh, on the you know, three in the bottom left, just to screw with us, right? Just to mess with the people 20 years from then that will have to <laughs> it was terrible. Wow. Um, of all the things that I don't think that I ever heard that oh, oh the worst. The worst. Staple so do you like? Do you cringe when you see a stapler now? Oh man! Oh man! The the you know like I mean the staple removers that like oh yeah like shark like thing yeah. with the teeth oh just terrible. You get down with a box and you'd like space out and be like, oh I don't I don't know if that's ninety five percent clear or percent. <laughs> I I blacked out. <laughs> And then I had another terrible one. Uh, I worked at a warehouse and uh, I was a sorter. So you own a car company and, you know, uh, one little thing within a car. I don't know cars. You know, one little lug nut is wrong. And then another, then another. Enough where there's a recall. Okay. So the people that made the lug nut have to pay a third party to come in and check every lug nut. Right. So we'll, I'll sit for, you know, nine hours 
and I'll look at a lug nut and I have to make sure that like it has like this certain little thing on it, which will take, you know, less than a second to see. And I mark it that it's clear and I'll pick another one up and I'll have to do, you know, the rate might be 300 in an hour. So I'm just lug nut. Oh, yep. That, that one's good. That one's good. So I'll go three weeks and all of them will be perfect. I won't find one bad one, but the recall will happen because three out of, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands were wrong and they had to make sure. Oh, so man. they'll pay me minimum wage to like, oh, terrible. That's a lot of patience. Oh, terrible. Those are two job, two jobs you just named that have in, that require a lot of patience. Well, what ended up happening was I, I, to be honest, I would just go really fast, and then like we created like I'm terrible with like uh, I just wanted to have fun. Yeah, um, I'm a type seven on the enneagram. For anyone that knows that, you can put me in a box. But um, we would have like you know freestyle rap Fridays where I would one of the people I worked with was like an actual like freestyle rapper and I would go head to head against him and I'm terrible. <laughs> so we would go really fast for like three hours and then we'd take an hour off without our boss knowing and like just diss each other through, you know, terrible lyrics. Um, <laughs> we had fun, but it was a terrible, terrible job. That's a, uh, all right. Awesome. I think you're, you're at the leaderboard. You, you've, you are, uh, you're the leaderboard of the, uh, out there jobs. Dwayne, what was Dwayne? What were your terrible jobs? Just Hollister. It was Hollister. I I worked there. I was like a six a.m. shift. I hate getting up early, so I couldn't figure out how to get into the mall. That was so I was always late. And they were really like, worked there for two days though. So <laughs> yeah. So in those two days, like the district managers coming in, um to like check and they're like, Oh, you got it. Like they told me when I was getting the job, it doesn't matter what you wear. Like you're not going to be on the floor, whatever, whatever. And like, Oh yeah. You got to buy this outfit. We'll reimburse you. And it's like, told me I didn't have to wear the clothes. Like I can't, like my calves are so big, like Hollister jeans look crazy. To me. <laughs> I don't like thong flip-flops. So I was just like, no. <laughs> you seen these calves lady. Okay. No, it's not going to work. Skinny, get those skinny jeans out of here. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, who are your three favorite soccer players? Oh, man. Three favorite. I think I have one all-time favorite, and then the the others kind of change kind of, I guess, with the day. Um, I tell kids uh, lots of stories about the real Ronaldo. Oh, yeah. Um, and how he was just the best. Uh, my coach growing up lived in Brazil. So I was like this Brazil junkie growing up and um, the real Ronaldo did things that I just, I was like, this is, this is it. This he's amazing. Yeah. Um, today I would say Ronaldinho, one of the best ever. And then I just love Patrice Evra flying, flying from uh, outside back, making things happen. Um, those are definitely some of my favorites, but the real Ronaldo. Oh yeah. Doesn't get better than that. What about you? What about you two? What you guys got some faves? Uh, for me, it was Raquel May. Okay. Uh, Carlos Tevez. Oh yeah. And then, uh, goalkeeper, uh, Abondanzieri who played in Argentina and then played in Hitafe for a while. 
Nice, nice. We got Ronaldinho. Oh yeah, come on. Thierry Henry. Dude. And then so Danny Alves. Okay, nice, nice. You call me a little Barcelona junkie, I guess, because they all got to play together. <laughs> yeah. Legit. If you had to coach a different sport, what would it be? Different sport. Um, I think I love volleyball. Like volleyball sounds awesome. I played a lot of basketball growing up. So basketball would be basketball. I feel like is a similar yeah. um, thing to, to soccer. I, I loved playing baseball growing up, but I think it's too boring, but I think it would be fun to coach like the little, the little things within the game. Um, I think my final answer would be spike ball. Spike really, ball. Like, really into spike ball lately. I don't know if you guys. Oh yeah. I've seen spike ball oh, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's super fun. I think it would be just be fun to be like, yeah, this is spike ball. I it's mean, like the, uh, I worked at a high school in Tennessee and that was like the, uh, the lunch, the lunch game. Really? Oh yeah. Kids were, kids cool. were out there just playing spike ball at lunch. Oh, that's cool. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mark, thanks so much for coming into the podcast today. We really appreciate it. We we love what you're doing at Make Your Own Ball Day, and we uh, wish you the best of luck. We're gonna take the three challenges that you gave our Delaware Union players, and we're gonna we're gonna put it out to them. And uh, just thanks, and you know, best of luck with with everything going on, and hopefully you get to make your next trip soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And uh, this is an open invitation. When we travel, we we just invite everyone to come and whoever wants to come comes on our trips and uh we travel and we experience new there you go dwayne's got his passport um yeah everyone no one's paid in this organization we all kind of pay our own way and we laugh a lot we play a lot of soccer um we meet a lot of new amazing people and we do a lot of hard work which is which is awesome as well and uh it'll change your life it'll change your life so if you're ever wanting to go to nicaragua or uh malawi and zimbabwe um or nepal uh let's do it hit me up hit me up it's pretty awesome so hit the streets awesome thanks so much mark all right so we are moving on to the hispanic heritage month uh hispanic heritage month uh ends i believe next week I think the 15th, I go September 15th through um, October 15th. And I wanted to talk about this really quick because so I was interviewed by um, by an Argentinian uh, journalist in general about the fact that I'm an Argentinian living in Delaware and coaching soccer. But I wanted to bring up the fact that like I don't really talk about the fact that I'm, I'm from Argentina a whole lot outside of like our close circle of friends that I have in the club. Um that sometimes I just it's it's more of a fun thing that we talk about because I uh but I don't really talk about the fact that I I am from Argentina. I don't I don't speak Spanish a ton in the club. Um I think that's been ingrained in my personality in general since I was in middle school where I went three years without talking in Spanish really outside of until anywhere outside of my house. Um but I am uh it's been an interesting experience the last two months or three months because my dad's been my assistant coach. Uh, so I've had, I speak to him in Spanish all the time. So now the players are starting to realize, Oh my God, coach Sebastian speaks Spanish. And for me now, I think it's a matter of um, being able to 
talk about that a little bit more and 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 express the fact that I'm from Argentina and and be okay with it. I think that's something that I don't really talk about or share a whole lot. Um, and if I mention it, I mention it very briefly and then I move on very quickly. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I'm, I, I will say that this is the first year that I felt like Hispanic heritage month has meant something real to me. Um, in the past, I feel like I've overlooked it. Uh, this year I felt more connected than I've ever had before to it. So. Yeah, it's something we definitely celebrate. Um, obviously, the school being out, we definitely celebrate at my school. Um, we try to raise awareness just because our school is so high in the Hispanic community with uh, students coming in. Um, so it's definitely something I think that goes over a book that we should build. Maybe we can build that next year. We'll have like a celebration or maybe we designate a game yeah. as Hispanic heritage. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree. I think that's something we can definitely look at or maybe it's just highlighting a player a day from a different country or yeah. some different players from different countries that I think would be, would be really cool. So, all right. So we're moving on to our player of the match award. All right, Dwayne, who's your player of the, the match? Big Ollie Watkins. Okay. Ollie. He was the man instrumental taking down Liverpool. Um, Aston Villa, they beat them seven, two. So defending champ was shockingly like, and he scored some good goals. He scored well. He scored a perfect hat trick. Yeah. So for those who don't know what a perfect hat trick is, you score with your right foot, you score a goal with your left foot, and then you also score a header. So big Ollie Watkins, uh, player of the match for taking down single handedly taking down Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting to to watch your reaction on some of the Liverpool's face players' faces, or or even Klopp's faces, like. Like, what is going on right now? Because they won the league by, what, like 30 points? Yeah. <laughs> they they almost won the league before quarantine. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, Brad Guzan, former Aston Villa player. There you go. Brad Guzan. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So, uh, my player of the match, I have two that I'm, I'm slightly debating between. So, one is Eduardo Camavinga. Now, Eduardo Camavinga uh, scored as a 17-year-old, scored a bicycle kick uh, against Ukraine in a 7-1 win against Ukraine the other day in the in the UEFA, in some friendlies. Did you watch that game? Uh, I watched the highlights of the game, yeah. All right, so I watched the game, and it wasn't – it could have been 20. So did you hear about what happened to the Ukraine, like the goalkeeper situation they had? No. So they brought – I think they brought four goalkeepers or three goalkeepers. Three of them tested positive for COVID-19. So they were left with one goalkeeper and no, no backup goalkeeper. So the goalkeeper coach, who's like 42 years old, who retired four or five years ago, had to become the backup goalkeeper. There you go. So, yeah. I like hockey. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. So Eduardo Camavinga. So he scored a goal as a 17-year-old and is the youngest player to have scored a goal in the history of the France national team. Take that, Mbappe. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> take that. So uh, so that was pretty cool. I was, And then my other one is Adama Tratori. Now, 
if you if you don't know if you don't recognize the name, I can tell you that you will recognize my description. He is probably the uh, fittest, if not the strongest, soccer player right now, or maybe in history, ever. So as a twenty fourth year twenty four year old, so he plays for Wolves. The twenty four year old, he makes his uh, Spain debut. Uh, so he actually began. I had no idea about this. He uh, he began his career at Barcelona. I had no idea. Well, there's yeah. like, there's also like ten Adama Traores in the world that all play soccer. Right. <laughs> well, you know that, right? You're gonna buy one, and you have to go back and look and see what age is the guy that you're actually trying to buy. <laughs> so yeah, so um, so he he made his uh he made his um debut for for the Spanish national team, and what I thought was really cool is I saw a quote that he talks about that he doesn't lift weights. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, it's basically how his body just is like, he just body just builds muscle and he just eats healthy, trains really hard. Um, and is, I mean, it, yeah, like, uh, so that my, my player of the match goes to him because, uh, good for him. Just big. This is one guy you don't, as a center back, you just don't want to play. He looks like he should be playing rugby. Oh, Absolutely. Um, which maybe that'll he'll do that too. Maybe we'll play both. Both be the first player to switch sports. Just play both at the same time. Why not? On the off days. Off days, just play a little rugby. There you go. Yeah, that could be fun. All right. So uh, on this day in history, on this day in history. So uh, for some odd reason, we've been struggling with our days. Uh, We might be running into those like Friday night like friday days like nothing really happens in the soccer world on fridays a whole lot um but we're gonna we're gonna give a shout out to speaking of uh hispanic heritage month and we're gonna give a shout out to jorge Buruchaga, who was born uh october 9th of 1962 he's an argentinian player um he was an attacking midfielder and a forward uh world cup winner uh in for argentina which I think is is pretty cool because he he played in the '86 uh, World Cup and uh, scored a very scores scores a very famous goal for Argentina in general. So um, so yeah, happy birthday to him. Maybe we start a Delaware Union history. Like we get, we get a historian to compile all of our history stats. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe we could. On this day in history, in 1994, Chad Reed scored a bicycle kick. <laughs> oh my God, do you think he did? Absolutely not. Oh. But wouldn't it be like kind of funny to like see like who scored or like who did what, and then we look back at it and it's history. We should get the marketing analytics department on this. Start digging up facts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So, uh, fair play of the week. Uh, I'm going to give mine. I'm stealing yours. You're stealing mine? Oh, man. All right, I'm giving mine to Mesut Ozil. Uh, because if you don't follow uh, random Arsenal news, uh, Arsenal has decided to fire the Gunnersaurus, uh, who is their mascot, who's a dinosaur. And uh, the poor guy that is the Gunnersaurus guy 
they decided to fire him or basically lay him off because there's no games with fans. So there's really no point in having the mascot running around. Uh, so, uh, so now this guy's lost two jobs in the matter of four months or five months because he had another job with the club as well that he was laid off of, uh, because they had, they found Arsenal found like 57 or 60 redundancies within their club. So they, they fired some people. Uh, so Mesut Ozil said that he is going to pay the salary of the Gunnersaurus guy for the, or for the next year or until things come back or something like that. Um, so hopefully the Gunnersaurus is back. Mesut Ozil, man, he is the guy. Considering he doesn't play and he's right now just collecting a paycheck. Uh, yeah, he's the guy. He was left off the uh, left off the Europa League. Uh, league or the 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 list as well so he's he's not in that anymore either he's he's a guy that i don't know what he had a back injury i don't know what the politics are behind him not playing but like free mezzo dozo like get him out of there he's a great player yeah yeah i listen i'll take him a Boca juniors if he wants to come to argentina i will take him adele reading at philadelphia union as a left winger Maybe not the number 10. Maybe on the left side. I mean, if, if Aronson goes. Maybe they do a swap. Aronson Arsenal and Ozil too. That could be cool. He's going to have to uh, slash his wage bill by like a oh, lot. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That's not. Yeah, for sure. No, you're absolutely right there. He probably makes more than the whole MLS does as a whole. Yeah, I read somewhere that apparently in these last five months, he's already made 10 million euros or something like that. And he hasn't played a minute. That back. So, um, yeah, I mean, but I mean, I'm assuming he's still training. He just, he's just not getting minutes. But anyway, so at least he's saving the Gunnersaurus. Yeah. That's, uh, that's important. So good, good for you, Mesut Ozil, for saving the Gunnersaurus. That means he cares. He does care. That means he cares. All right. Well, uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Delaware Union, on Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer, and on Twitter at DE Union Soccer. Uh, we'll be posting pictures from this weekend, uh, some videos, maybe some possible interviews. Uh, we'll be posting some stuff up there. Thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. Mm-hmm.